This episode of the Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the members of the U.S. Naval Institute. Our members write, debate, and discuss key issues that ultimately strengthen the Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard. Benefits include a subscription to our award-winning Proceedings Magazine, discounts to over a 1,000 titles from books published by the Naval Institute Press, and graphic novels from Dead Reckoning, a discounted subscription to Naval History Magazine, special invitations to conferences and events, and access to 146 years of archival information such as historic photos, oral histories, and so much more. For more, go to usni.org join. Hey listeners, welcome back to another episode of the U.S. Naval Institute's From the Deck Place podcast, where we dive into topics that explore the perspectives, opinions, and experiences from a variety of enlisted naval professionals. I'm your host, Paul Kingsbury, retired fleet mass chief and co-director of outreach for the U.S. Naval Institute. As you know, or hopefully you know, August was our U.S. Coast Guard focused edition of Proceedings. So I'm excited today to welcome back my guest, Mass Chief Jason Vander Hayden. He's the current Mass Chief Petty Officer of the Coast Guard. This is his third time joining us on the Proceedings Podcast since the time I've been working at the Naval Institute. So, Jason, welcome back. How's everything going? It's going great, Paul, and I really appreciate you highlighting the Coast Guard for our birthday month of August. There's a lot going on. August is kind of a great month to, to highlight the Coast Guard. We're, we're in the middle of hurricane season, and there's a few other things going on that we can talk about. But like I said, I'm grateful for USNI and you in, in particular with your podcast from the Deck Plates. Uh, very thankful uh, for the opportunity to talk about the Coast Guard. Awesome. So yeah, it's been, uh, I think we did this almost probably about a year ago because I think it, it's just a good kind of point to pause and have the opportunity to see what's going on with you. And I appreciate you making yourself available because I know you're, uh, you're definitely busy. So, uh, like you said, let's start. What's been going on on the last year in the Coast Guard? I know, I know we see a lot. There's a lot going on in Afghanistan. What's going on with COVID? We got a hurricane that just rolled through. What's going on in the Westpac? Would love to hear your insights on all that. You know, there is a lot going, despite COVID and despite all the challenges that COVID posed, you know, the Coast Guard hasn't missed a search and rescue case. We haven't missed a law enforcement event. We haven't missed a vessel inspection, a port security inspection. We haven't, we, all the buoys are in place and oil spills are being responded to. And the Coast Guard Cutter Monroe, uh, was with the USS Kidd doing a Taiwan Strait transit. And we did, uh, the U.S. Coast Guard and Taiwanese Coast Guard working together in a, in a joint op, which is significant. And then we've been working with the Japanese Coast Guard as well. And Monroe is out doing the work of Seventh Fleet right now. So we're really excited for that opportunity. Commandant and I were in Saipan and Guam about a month or so ago, and we renamed what was used to be Sector Guam. Now it's called Coast Guard Forces Micronesia slash sector Guam. And we've, we commissioned three fast response cutters. Uh, and we, you know, we've done a lot of beefing up the infrastructure in Guam. And then you may have seen that we pushed the Coast Guard cutter Hamilton into the Black Sea. So we were changing out, we're replacing the 110 foot patrol boats in Bahrain with 154 foot fast response cutters. And this is, uh, you know, really going to be a significant improvement in capability over the 110-foot patrol boats. The Hamilton escorted two of those uh, fast response cutters across the Atlantic and through the Med. They turned right, went through the Suez, and then down through the Bab al-Mandab and around into the Arabian Gulf. 
now we have those two fast response cutters working in Bahrain, and we're going to eventually have six fast response cutters in Bahrain. And then Hamilton continued on, went through the Bosphorus and went into the Black Sea to work with the Ukrainians and the Georgians. We just confirmed that we're going to do some excess defense article military sales to uh, the Georgian Coast Guard for a couple of our patrol boats, a couple of patrol boats, trying to build out their capacity to, to uh, protect their natural resources and do some maritime domain awareness within their EEZ and in and, and, and their waters, their territorial seas. Uh, and then, you know, we've been working, been a, a pretty significant push for helping nations develop their own capacity to protect their natural resources, in particular fish. Okay. You, you know, there is studies that are suggesting or, or saying, stating that a third of the fish that is sold in the world is either illegally caught, unreported, or unregulated not being tracked or we don't know exactly how they're being caught, you know, what the damage is to the environment from that catch. So fish, believe it or not, can become a, uh, a security challenge uh, for some of these small countries that rely on fish, either rely on fish for revenue or rely on fish for, for sustenance and subsistence. Uh, so we're trying to help highlight the importance of, you know, legal fishing. That's a big mission for us right now. And then all, as always, we're, we are the primary means of removing cocaine from the streets of America. We catch more cocaine than anybody else. Uh, so we're, you know, always uh, working with Southcom, Joint Interagency Task Force South, you know, trying to prevent cocaine from reaching the United States. And then we're also seeing a, a, a fairly significant uptick in uh, maritime migration. You know, people, instead of coming across the southwest border, they're, they're actually coming by boat from Mexico up to the United States. Uh, that problem has grown quite a bit. And then with the unrest in Cuba and then the earthquake in Haiti, we've been very vigilant to mass migration uh, potential from Haiti and Cuba. So we've had patrol boats out there and we, we were responding. You know, the Coast Guard was one of the first U.S. agencies on scene to help the Haitians, you know, in the aftermath of their, their earthquake. We're in the middle, in the midst of responding to Hurricane Ida right now. Hurricane Ida came ashore as a, a Cat 4 hurricane, um, dumped a bunch of water, a lot of wind damage, brought in helicopters from around the country, pre-staged them outside the damage area, and then now they're flowing in now that the storm's pushing through. They're falling in behind the storm to help people in need. I think we're going to um, push one of our medium endurance cutters into the Gulf of Mexico to serve as a communications platform and uh, try to provide all the assistance we can to the to the folks who need it in, in Louisiana and Mississippi. So lots going on. And then on top of all that, uh, as we, you know, evacuated Afghanis that, you know, needed to, needed to leave the country for safety purposes, you know, and we bring those folks to the United States, the Department of Homeland Security will have a, a, a significant role in helping take care of them, get a good start and make sure that they're, they're set up for success as they, uh, enter the United States. That's not a days or weeks thing. That could be a month's thing. So the, the Coast Guard as the, you know, component of the Department of Homeland Security, we're, we are always there to help out the department and to be a good teammate. So I'm sure we'll be helping out with that as well, helping out with that mission as well. Glad to do it. So lots of different things yes. going on, you know, and then, and then there's just a day, the 11 day to day statutory mission. We've been doing some pretty extensive work with the Danes and the Canadians 
and the French in uh, Greenland and Iceland, and I, you know, in Iceland doing some uh, called Ops Argus and Nanook. We've been working, um, you know, up off of Greenland quite a bit. The Arctic is is a growing area of interest uh, for the world, really. And we need if the if you're not present. You know, presence equals, you know, your, your ability to protect yourself. So we, we have to be up there. We have to be able to get up there. And we're excited about the polar security cutter. So we awarded a contract for a new icebreaker. I think we're, I think we've got, uh, not full funding, but at least partial funding for two, uh, icebreakers, two heavy icebreakers. That is going to be, uh, really important for the national security, especially in the Arctic and our ability to go down to the Antarctic and enforce treaty, uh, rules. Our cyber mission is growing. We're looking at how the Coast Guard, what the Coast Guard's role in the maritime is for for cybersecurity. You know, maintaining the maritime transportation system and ensuring the safeguarding the maritime transportation system. And cybersecurity is part of that. Man, I tell you, <laughs> there's a lot going on for sure. Not to mention this thing called COVID. So yeah. how how's everyone doing with COVID? I know yes. recent yeah, DOD we, guidance. Uh, I think applies Absolutely. to you guys too. We're we're uh, we're that unique entity that follows DOD guidance and we follow DHS guidance, right. which sometimes uh, puts a little more restrictions on us. Um, so we 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 are all an armed service at all times. So we when SecDef says something, we almost always I, I can't think of a situation where we wouldn't you know follow SecDef guidance. And then uh, so we have made the COVID vaccine mandatory, the the Pfizer BioNTech. Vaccine mandatory, just just as, as SecDef did. Uh, we have right now roughly eight seventy eight seventy nine percent of our active duty that's vaccinated, and we and uh, about sixty plus percent of our reserve component that we are aware of that's vaccinated. We are also aware that there's probably many reservists that are vaccinated that we just don't haven't captured, captured that information yet. You know, I am a big fan of uh, General Milley and the the. the the joint chiefs and, and all our service chiefs and all the, my fellow SEAs. And I can tell everybody there is no way that our senior leaders would ever jeopardize the readiness of the force. In fact, they're trying to maintain the readiness of the force, which is why they're encouraging people to get vaccinated. If there was any chance that this vaccine was going to harm the workforce, we wouldn't be doing, we wouldn't make it mandatory. This is one of the safest vaccines we've ever developed. And I'm really hoping that everyone gets vaccinated it is the people believe that the senior leaders of the of the services have their best interests in mind because i know they do all right so with uh, all that exciting stuff coming down the pipe i mean clearly worldwide presence engaged in the space of competition across many spaces like you said not just military competition but competition for resources such as the fisheries and things like that so it's a lot going on so as you get around, I know you're doing that stuff. What are you hearing from the forces out there about pressure to force in the man, train, equip space? That is an issue. That is a challenge for us right now. Uh, we are not recruiting as much as we would uh, are, like to. Our recruiters are doing a magnificent job. They're working really hard, and we're trying to we're trying to give them all the tools that they need to be successful. But my personal opinion is we need more recruiters. We don't have enough recruiters, so we're we're gonna we got some money in the, in the 22 budget. It looks like uh, to grow our recruiting force. Uh, and it, what happens? We started with a, a hole, so we we were almost 700 people short in the Coast Guard, mostly at the E3 level, and then 
when we don't make our recruiting number, that makes that number grow even more. So we're try- so when you go to a unit, what we had to do was we had to take all our E3s and pull them off of basically support unit, you know, your your bases, and we had to move them all to operational units. So we had to prioritize ships. So obviously, ships are going to be 100% staffed, and then we went to small boat stations and uh, and patrol boats, and we try- we're trying to staff them to the best we can. It does have an effect when you are at a at a unit where you're used to having some E3 support uh, to knock out some of the the labor, and now all of a sudden you got an E5 that now that labor falls to that doesn't feel so good, and and so morale takes a little bit of a hit, and then duty schedules take a little bit of a hit, and watch rotations and things like that. So, and then when you're that short handed, as you know in the Coast Guard, we don't send our people directly to A school. Some do. Uh, we send maybe 10 or 12 out of a company of 100 recruits. We might send 10 of them directly to A school. But by and large, most of our folks that graduate basic training go to the field as non, non-rated E3s. And then they work in the field for a period of time. They put their name on a school list. And then when their name comes up on the school list, they go to school. Well, when the, when we're shorthanded, the school lists get very short. So now we have folks that are arriving at their units. They're only there three or four months and then they're gone. So it's, it, they're, they go to school because the school lists are so short. So what that does is that creates a training burden on the command because their person arrives. They try to get them trained and qualified in their, in their watch station. And then they leave <laughs> and right. then they, they try to get it. Hopefully we'll get a replacement for that person and then do it all over again. And, uh, that is starting to wear on our crews. There's not really a fix to that because to be honest, I, I'd rather have that person leave and get a, get to their A school and get trained up and then fill the, the need that I have for a skilled technician in the field as opposed to an unskilled, uh, non-rated, I would say, I use the term unskilled, uh, you know, in terms of a rating, not a skill yes. in a rating. Um, so, uh, many non-rates come in are very skilled, but not, not as, not, not as in a rating. You know, so I'd, I'd rather send them to school than put a mandatory, you, you got to be there a year before you can go to A school. So it's, it's tricky right now. It's creating some challenges for some of our units that rely on these E3s to do the work, you know, to get, because they, because they, once, once they get there, they're, they get trained up pretty quick and they're watching. I mean, they're, they're, they're pretty, they bring some very intelligent people in and they get, they get trained up quickly, but then they leave. That's, uh, affecting the workforce right now. We are also in the middle of uh, something that's a little Coast Guard specific, but DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, mandated that we change our our accounting system. We, we call it the core accounting system. So how you fund uh, various. So in the past, we had a training budget. So we our AFC 56 was our, our training budget. You had 20, AFC 20 was travel. You know, you had, you know, the way we accounted for money and the way we budgeted and, and put money into program, you know, programs, that is, the DHS said, you can't do that anymore. We're all going to be one department. We're going to do it one way. And so we are having to change that, which is changing the way we, we pay for training. Uh, instead of the training command, you know, the force readiness command having a big budget and then, paying for the schools, 
a lot of that money now is going to the actual program. So the aviation program will be paying for aviation training. The naval engineering program pay for naval engineering training. You know, the health safety and work life program will pay for the health safety and work life training. So that's new to that's kind of a okay. Yeah. Uh, so there's a there, there's going to be some growing pains with that to be sure that we the budget having the money the, the enough money in the right pots to get everybody the training they need. You know that'll take a couple of years to get that perfected. It, it's really uh, a dynamic time for us with, with finance. The good news is the OMB really took care of the Coast Guard, um, the Office of Management Budget. They really appreciate all the work that we do, and they really advocated for you know growing our operations and support budget uh, to so to, we can get after some of our readiness challenges and some of the infrastructure, the the, the milcon type stuff that we need to do. Our 22 budget looks very good. It's it's a it's one of the best budgets we've had, uh, and the 23 if and it looks like we're going to be able to baseline off the 22 budget for our 23 request, and uh, that looks very good too. So um, we're getting tremendous congressional support. We're getting tremendous support from the department and the president. I'm very thankful for the acknowledgement of uh, some of the great work that our people are doing, and then rewarding with getting them the resources they need they need to really be the the world's best coast guard all right let's shift gears here a little bit so you're about uh i think you're what halfway through the tour now a little more no i'm no no no, i'm three quarters three quarters are you really man (laughs) (laughs) yeah i got less than a year left oh man all right well yeah all right so like uh what's been your high point and what's been your low point (laughs) (laughs) so you know, uh, I, I was tempted to ask, you know, the next commandant if I could have an extra year. Just <laughs> we get COVID, so we haven't had a shutdown and and a, a contentious election cycle and civil unrest and a pandemic and you know all that kind of stuff that we uh, dealing with. Just so I just would love to have a normal Pog year. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Uh, but there there probably isn't such a thing. I'm I'm sure Master Chief Cantrell probably had his a bunch of challenges in his own right, but. It's been a, a great time. I tell you, you know, the best part of this job has been the people that you get to work with, the, the passionate and caring leaders. My boss, the Commandant of the Coast Guard, has been so supportive of, of what we've been trying to do. He's been he's confident in, in our senior enlisted leaders and giving him the best advice on what we need to do. So, you know, one of the best things that we've done is is we created, we, we changed the advancement to Master Chief. Um the blended retirement system is going to change the retention model of the work of the military workforce. Yep. It is uh, it is going to add nuances, some just some challenges to, to get people to want to serve to twenty. The incentive just isn't there uh, for the most most enlisted members. You know, when you join at twenty and you think about, you know, okay, I'll leave the service at forty with forty percent retirement. You know, it just it's like okay, am I you know. You might want to do that, uh, but at 10 or 12 years, you got your GI Bill, perhaps, you know, put some money into PSP and you're, and you've had some matching, uh, and then you can take that with you, you know, and you've got your, you've been rated, you've got your skill set, you got your GI Bill, perhaps some advanced training. 
now I'm 30 years old. I've, I've got a little bit of a retirement plan that I can take with me. You know, I, I think the blended retirement system is going to change the retention model. So what, what is going to keep people in the military? It's going to be good leadership. People have to like coming to work. They have to like their bosses. They have to feel like they want to be like their bosses. They have to feel like I'm growing personally and professionally in this organization. And although I might be able to make more money on the outside, I won't have the job satisfaction that I have in the Coast Guard. And to get good job satisfaction, you need good leadership. We have changed the way we advance Master Chiefs to a lot like they do in the Navy. Um, and I actually learned this from, from the Navy. I, I, when I was in Pearl Harbor, I, I went to Earl Gray's um, Chiefs Call uh, Nav State Pearl Harbor scene. And, and I was amazed at the, the, the turnout and the participation and the, the network and just the esprit de corps of the chief's mess there in Pearl Harbor. And I thought, man, I, I don't, I don't have that over there on Sand Island where I am. I, I, I put out a call. I was the chief of the mess. I put out a call for the chief's call and I get like half the chiefs show up and, I, and, and the rest of them, I mean, you know, I couldn't make, you know, I got this going, I got that. They never had that problem with the Navy. And so I asked her, I said, how'd you do that? He goes, well, they won't make my chief if they don't come to chief's call. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, they won't make it. You have to be an active member of the mess. Otherwise, you don't make senior chief. You don't make my chief. I'm like, oh, damn. I know that the chief's mess is going to be critical to the retention of the future workforce. We need good, strong chief's mess. So we changed our advancement procedures to master chief now, and we have a panel. And so now we we board and panel our master chiefs, and, and we lack the, the technical ability, the software, uh, to, to be able to do that for senior chiefs right now. For chiefs going for senior chief, just the panel would take too long based on our our software system that we use to, to do records, but we're uh, we're buying the Army's official military personnel file, and we're going to transition uh, to the Army's you know system where you can look at your own record, you can you can do boards and panels much much faster, much more efficiently, and then we'll be able to go to uh, looking at doing chiefs going for senior chief through the panel process. And and just a side note, why we do that, why we bought the Army's and not using the Navy system is. <laughs> The, the army uses a their personnel tracking system that they use is the same thing same we use so we bought their official military personnel file because it, they talk to each other already okay yeah so that's why, that's why we bought the armies that's probably my one of the most important things I think I was trying to do to set the future MCPOGs and the future senior leader the future Coast Guard leadership uh, for success is making sure that our senior enlisted leaders are selected based on their leadership ability, not their test taking ability. For those in the those that might be listening in the Navy or, or not familiar with Coast Guard advancement processes is we primarily advance off of a test. It's called a service-wide exam. Every, everybody in the Coast Guard, uh, every E6 sits down on the same day, roughly the same time across the country, and they all fill in a Scantron sheet by hand, and everybody has the exact same test, 150-question test, and they fill it in, and then they mail it to Topeka, Kansas, and it gets graded in Topeka, Kansas. That's primarily how you get advanced uh, in the enlisted ranks in the Coast Guard. And it has worked. I'm not saying that it, that it hasn't worked. I mean, I, that's the system I used. But I also see that I can't control behavior. There's no, not, nothing I can do to incentivize people to attend, to, to build a strong chief's mess, because really, at the end of the day, they can give me the high sign and say, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to do that. And then they still can make master chief because it's all based off a of test. So not all, but primarily based off a of test. 
So, Paul, I had a lot of senior chiefs tell me, you know, I don't have control over my advancement anymore. And my answer is, yes, you do. You have more control over your advancement than you ever did. Uh, you can't predict what questions are going to be on that test, but you can definitely control your behavior and your performance and your leadership and, and your being involved in the chief's mess and, and leading the workforce. That is something you absolutely can control. I, I would argue with people that say they, they don't have as much control. Um, so that's the, that's probably my high point. Okay. You know, the low point, I guess I'll just put myself on report a little bit here. <laughs> so when we had the government shutdown, I let my emotions get better of me. I was very frustrated. Um, I felt like, you know, th- that, uh, we, you know, we had to be very careful. It was a political issue. It was so political and you just couldn't take a side. You could not be, you couldn't support one side or the other. And I, and I, and I felt like from my perspective, I knew what needed to happen and I just couldn't get that to happen. And there was people that were really worried all around the Coast Guard. There were, there was a lot of concern, a lot of angst in the workforce. And so I kind of started writing kind of like an, a nightly email to our command master chiefs. And I got, I, I let my emotions get the best of me in some of the, and hindsight would have been a lot more careful because I, I could have done, and I, it didn't happen. Nothing came of it. It wasn't a, I didn't, you know, I'm still here. I didn't, I didn't, yeah. but I could have done more harm than good. I was trying to keep the workforce informed and I let a little bit of opinion sneak into some of my emails. And, uh, one morning, the commandant's uh, executive assistant called. You know, he says, "Hey, you got a minute?" He comes in. He goes, "Hey." He hands me the email that I sent the night before. He goes, "Why don't you route this through me before you send any more right. emails?" So I said, "I know what that means." <laughs> so, I just, yes. so I stopped doing it. Uh, so it was uh, that was the point for me where I was like, "Yeah, I probably should have known better than to." let my my feelings creep into some of that stuff i should have stayed a little more factual so yeah and i and you don't realize that you don't think about that yeah that was a tough tough part for me because i felt helpless yeah i felt like i, I and i wanted to i wanted to, to to do something but i but you know what i had you and michael little in my camp and michael was uh doing everything he could do yes as you know right it is frustrating you know what i mean there's a lot of political and policy decision making say I mean, as much as people think like, hey, they're the senior service, there's still limits to what your influence can do, right? Especially in something like that, like you said. But there are other organizations yeah. out there um, that provide, including the Naval Institute, where people can come in and write in the space and, you know, the forum. Um, so you've always got that with you. You know, uh, it, I tell people it's, it's a good thing to be a member of some veteran service organizations the more membership they have, the more influential they are. Um, I, I think the lawyers, uh, they don't like me to, to tell people to join, but I'm not, I'm not telling anybody yeah. to join, but I'm just saying it's a good, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to join that. And then I understand, I just talked to, uh, to Mike Stevens, uh, uh, and, and looks like, uh, Navy League is going to let, allow military members to join the Navy League. Now, okay. Even if you're serving. Yeah. 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 So, and I, and I'm grateful for USNI. For giving people that opportunity to to write and to share thoughts, because that's you know otherwise it's you know that's a a, a medium and a venue that that people can put things out there to discuss things. So, yeah, and we um, talked about that before, yeah. right? It's like you know some of that stuff is commentary based, you know, it's opinion based. Some of it is cited and it's well researched and stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
there is an opportunity to come in and then people are just throwing ideas in there. And then just like anything, um, those ideas can be supported. They can be challenged. They might, uh, people yeah. might agree, disagree. It might illuminate something in a different way. So it's not just the writers. It's not just the ability to write, but it's, that's why I like doing this podcast is to connect leaders to these articles and go, Hey, what do you think? So, so you're exactly right. And I would remind all our senior leaders out there that when you read something that you that you don't necessarily you don't agree with or frustrates you or whatever, just recognize that that person is is putting their thoughts out there and there's there's insight into all that. I mean, there's you're seeing what what their level of knowledge is in the organization, but you're also seeing how they feel about certain things. Regardless, you you, you can't tell somebody how to feel, but you can appreciate, oh, hmm, that's interesting. That's not, that's not accurate, but they think it is. And so that's where their, that's where their, their perception is. So maybe we're not, our communication is not penetrating as well as we thought. And maybe we've got a better, we need to work a little bit harder on, on getting the message out. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. Even when I read something that I'm like, I, know. I wish I would, you know, yeah. it frustrates me. I go, eh, okay, I'm glad to know what they're thinking. I'm glad to know what's on their mind. Leia Mitch, you know that August is the Coast Guard focus edition. So it's not just people in there writing about what's wrong or could be better. There's leadership articles. There's information about a lot of these things you talked about where, about where the Coast Guard's trying mm-hmm. to expand and kind of think in new ways. So there is a lot of information and knowledge that comes out of proceedings too. I can tell you over the last year, you know, I'm proud of the enlisted Coast Guard authors. Two of the three prize winners for the U.S. Coast Guard essay were enlisted, right? You had third class petty officer, right? His third place was create patrol forces Indo-Pacific. So here I got a third class petty officer talking strategic kind of stuff. I don't know if you had a chance to read that piece, but what are your thoughts on that? I did. I did. I, I tell you, well, uh, Merrill McGowan, yes. uh, man, very well written, very good uh, and accurate and, and just so you, just – Instead of creating a control, uh, uh, create patrol forces Indo Pacific, we actually did create Coast Guard forces Micronesia, and and we uh, are doing a lot of the ideas and suggestions from this article just coincidentally. So, just shows the the the, the foresight and the the vision that a, a third class petty officer can have. And it aligns, perhaps even unknowingly, with the Coast Guard vision. So, I mean, it is. Uh, yeah. I, I, I can't say enough great, great things about that. We, we, this is a uh, definite growing mission set for us. Uh, and and the other, the other thing that with with this Indo-Pacific is climate change. Now, I don't. I'm not going to get political on climate change, but the fact is, is the sea levels are rising, uh, and it's going to affect. The Indo-Pacific probably more than other areas of the world, and uh, there will definitely be an opportunity for the U.S. Coast Guard to assist uh, these nations with mitigating the effects of climate change and, and helping them, you know, protect their their natural resources along with you know building resilient ports and things like that because we do that here in the, in the aftermath of a hurricane or a natural disaster when we build back we build back with resiliency um i think there's an opportunity for the coast guard to partner with these uh these other countries to uh to help them so yeah. brilliant brilliant article really appreciated reading it and uh thankful for uh Petty Officer McGowan uh, taking the time to to put those thoughts to paper 
And then we had uh, Coast Guard Chief Petty, also Patrick Kirby, wrote one about creating secondary competency code for Coast Guard enlisted. Um, this nests in with a recent podcast I did about using sailor skills. It nested in actually yeah. with Petty Officer Zilnick. He did uh, Collar Check Culture Holds Us Back. So there's a podcast on that. I know you've listened to that. But this secondary competency code, what, I know you read that. What were your thoughts on that? So I, I love it. We're going to do something uh, slightly uh, slightly different. So the, the, shape of, the shape of the enlisted workforce in the Coast Guard is changing a lot. And it's going – right now we use a pyramid-shaped workforce. So, uh, you know, we have more E3s and E4s, more E4s and E5s, more E5s and E6, and it kind of builds in a pyramid. But with the new assets that the Coast Guard is bringing online, the, the, the new cutters and air – in our aviation community, there's very few E3s to begin with. Um, and the cutter community, the number of E3s and E4s is shrinking quite a bit. So we're going to actually go to a diamond-shaped workforce where we probably have more E5s in the Coast Guard than we do E3s. That's going to create some some billet challenges, some growth challenges. How do we grow more E5s from less E3s? Right. And to do that, we probably are going to need at the E4 level some more kind of a general like an engineering core competency where we combine maybe a few. And when I say combine, I, I mean we interchange our engineering billets at a unit so that it can be one of three or four engineering billets. And then we send that person off to get trained in that competency that we need them to do at that unit. They have the basic engineering competency and then we, we, we expand them. Now, now what, um, Chief Kirby's talking about is, uh, uh, more along the lines of it looks like special assignments with, uh, you know, the, 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 the drug and alcohol reps and, yeah. uh, you know, victim advocates and some of those other collaterals that, that often take up so much time in your normal day to day duties. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not certain that we're going to pretend just because the units, so we, we don't have a garrison for, we don't have, we don't, we don't have any bench. Everybody in the, when we, had, <laughs> Paul, when we advance somebody, it's because we have a hole somewhere. We have a vacancy. So when we, and I can't always promise you that you're doing a, a, a secondary duty now that when I advance you in your rating, you may not, you may go to a billet where you don't do that at all. So right. it's, it's, it, you know, we train to more of a, a need at the unit. And, and so we, we absolutely, and I, and I think, I think Chief Kirby maybe could per, perhaps phrase it a, a different way. We, we have hundreds of competency codes in the Coast Guard. That's not, I, I think, create a secondary, uh, like a, a secondary rating or a secondary specialty or secondary, you know, in the officers, you have your primary specialty and your secondary specialty. I think he's kind of, I think what Chief Kirby's talking about here is something along those lines of, you know, um, a secondary specialty or a secondary yeah. rating. Um, and, and so, but I, but at the end of, at the end of the day, we are going to have, a challenge within even within the ratings and the shape of the workforce is changing and we will be more the training system is going to have to adapt and become more flexible um, i think we're going to have an operations core competency where three or four of our operations type ratings 
uh, are interchangeable in different billets and to, to different billets. And then the engineers, the same thing, uh, be interchangeable with different billets. And then when you go to a unit and you need a second, you need to be a CDAR, you need to be, and, and, and unfortunately, the jack of all trades, master of none. Um, it, that's probably going to only get more prevalent than than more specialized. Okay. We just won't. We just don't have the bench strength to be able to to carve that out right. uh, of the existing workforce without growing. So, yeah. I, but I but I I like where his head's at. I mean, obviously, when you are doing something part time, you're probably not as good at it. Uh, as you are, would be if you were doing it full time. Um, so, yep. and, and then there's some, when, when he talks about, you know, counseling, I tell you, m- mental health is something that Coast Guard's really gotten after. So the Commandant and I, when we traveled around our first year, even into our second year, every single unit, Paul, without a doubt, without question, I'm not, this is not an exaggeration. Every single unit, I don't care how big or small it was, said, Mental health availability, mental health counseling, mental health help availability in the in the Coast Guard is 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 uh, is lacking is 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 not even of it not available, and so the commandant came back and told the health, safety, and work life folks and told the budget folks, hey, let's do something about this mental health um, issue. We we are hearing it everywhere we go, so the Coast Guard's purchased, paid for, created. 13 mental health professional that are at our bases around the Coast Guard that are, so there's a now a mental health professional. So we can relieve some of the units of some of the, some of the counseling that was going on. So if somebody comes and presents with the suicidal ideation or they're maybe not, they're not suicidal yet, but they're, the joy of life is gone. They don't really feel like coming to work. They don't really even know why they're, you know, doing what they do. You can get that. It's much easier to get them help, and it's not a burden on. It's not incumbent upon the command to kind of hold this person's hand until you know you can get them somewhere. You know, you take them to the hospital. And they go, hey, they're not a threat to themselves or others, so off they go. And you're yep. like, ah. So now we've got some, we've got people, uh, and and I believe we're almost all the way hired into those positions. So uh, very happy uh, to report that that some of these collaterals that have fallen to. Uh, just a everyday petty officer or chief petty officer. Um, hopefully we can get after some of this by hires that we yeah. made. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. So I think, uh, it's either starting or about to start, right? Your fall season, I guess I would call it of the chief's call to initiation. Yeah. yeah. A little different as I, I've come to learn, right? As I focus in with you, uh, Navy does this once a year, right? We select and even that's gotten a little skewed because of COVID, right? It used to be results come out sometime in August. You go through initiation and you pin. September 16th, last year got pushed way right into January. This year it's going to move. You know, I think they're pinning in November, mid-November sometime. But you guys do two sessions, right? Spring and the fall. Tell us a little bit about that. And how did you have to adjust, if any, for COVID? <laughs> so, yes, we, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the way that the Navy does it. But again, the, in the Coast Guard, many of our chiefs might be the only chief at a unit, yeah. or they, or they might be they're spread out. It's a, it's difficult to run the same program as the Navy. Although we do glean a lot from the Navy, and I tell you, one of the best, best things I ever attended was the Navy khaki ball in, uh, in Hawaii. Man, that was freaking awesome. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was, you know, and I love the 
all chiefs in the Navy pin on the same day, yeah. you know, and they summer frocked. And so, I mean, I was, I was trying to drive the Coast Guard to that, but it just seemed like a bridge too far. I just couldn't right. get there. But yeah. um, that is a neat experience. So last in the spring, about half the CCTIs were postponed due to COVID and about half the messes did a virtual type experience and they did social distancing, you know, fundraising and they did, um, you know, the best they could do to give our new chiefs the, mo- the, 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 the most rewarding CCTI experience possible. Uh, and I congratulate all the messes that were able to pull it off. And I understand, uh, fully the messes that, uh, aired to the side of caution. Most of that was based on geography and, lo- and, 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 county or statewide restrictions that were placed on sizes of gatherings and things like that. It wasn't a, they wanted, they just were late. It wasn't, it was, it was based on, you know, the restrictions yeah. that were in place in the geographic location of the unit. So that's how those decisions were pretty much made. Um, and then, you know, some of them got real creative. I mean, they go, you know, they, they, they go, they, they, they go, they get on kayaks and like go out on kayaks and like, do team building on it, you know, on the water, socially distance away from each other. And, and, and anyway, it's, uh, worked out well. I was the guest speaker at our CCTI dinner here in the national capital region. And we used the, uh, the Gaylord, uh, the big convention center where we had Sierra space. Yeah. We used their, their facility and we had two, 250, 300 people. And the Gaylord was able to spread us out. So they, a big, huge, you know, space and and uh, i think they could use the business so they were they were able to spread us out and and make it so it didn't cost so much and i'm grateful for for them for that um and we had a really nice um we had a really nice dinner acceptance dinner um that's where we pin uh pin everybody and and uh it was great it was uh it worked out well and we're going to do it again in the fall the delta variant is throwing a little bit of a wrench in things uh but i'm optimistic that we can we can still pull it off uh we're we're in a touch of a holding pattern for the national capital region right now. The plan is to start in October and we'll see how that goes. Like again, depending on where you live and depending on the restrictions in the area where you live and the the number of people vaccinated, obviously the vaccine, if if you're vaccinated, that really helps. We intend to to push forward in the fall. It's probably again going to be geographically uh, determined on whether or not we can do it. Yeah. And just a plug on that. So we are doing, we did this last year with the Navy CPO initiation season. So we run a promo where if uh, chiefs buy a chief petty officer's guide, they get a free digital membership. So we're doing that for the Coast Guard this year, right? I want to give you all some love and give this a Coast Guard flavor. So we're running that through October 15th. So that should take you through that uh, through that time period. So I'll put that in the episode description and I'll push start pushing that stuff around uh, via email. Thank you. Um, all right, Jason, what uh, what do you off to do next? Any last thoughts you want to throw out there? You know, I, I'm uh, uh, headed to Alaska uh, in, in about uh, 10 days. And okay. our vaccine percentages aren't aren't quite as high in Alaska as they are in some other places. I love to go up there. And, and as you said, my job is to go do some sensing and, and, and understand what the, what's going on on the deck plates. And, and so I intend to go up to visit our units in Alaska and hear what's on their mind and try to answer their questions and, and you tell them what the Coast Guard expects of them. So we're going to go up there and do that. And, and 
we're going to watch, you know, hurricane season. We're just kind of hitting the peak of hurricane season. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can avoid another, uh, major hurricane. But if, but we'll be ready if, if we do. Uh, and we just screened all our new command master chiefs. So, um, every, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be looking to, uh, start getting into the assignment season for our new, uh, for our command master chiefs. That's a pretty exciting time for them. And, and it should be an exciting time for everybody because these are the, these command master chiefs are the, are the people that really advocate for uh, the workforce, and they're they're you know the kind of the go-to if you have some issues or concerns, or you want something addressed, or you have a problem that you need solved. You know your command master chief is there to help. So uh, excited about that! Uh, and then work through this mandatory vaccine. I want to be respectful of the workforce. I want to be. I want. I, I want to respect everyone's service. I want to. Um, you know, treat everybody with dignity, no matter what decision they try to make, they, they not try to make, they, what decision they make and, and whichever direction they go. Uh, I want to, I want to be sure we, we respect their service and, uh, and give them the opportunity to, if they, if they choose not to get vaccinated, to have the proper amount of time to be able to, to get their, their, their affairs in order, to get their, uh, taps in and to get their, their medical done and, you know, treat them with respect. Uh, so, um, this is a personal decision and, uh, it doesn't mean that you didn't want to serve. It doesn't mean that you don't love your kind of enemy. It's, it's, it is what it is. And, and so, um, trying to get that right, trying to get that messaging right, trying to get that process correct. So we do show how much we care about our workforce. That's, uh, that's important. Okay. All right. Well, you guys are definitely busy. I know you get your hands full. And again, I appreciate your time. So everyone, you've been listening no. to Insights from Master Chief of the Coast Guard, Jason Vander Hayden. If you can, please take time to check out the articles we discussed today. Uh, it's one of your member benefits, right? Access to all those archives back, uh, frankly, back to the first edition of Proceedings Magazine, which is pretty cool. You can go back there and read that. So Jason, thanks again for your service and for offering us insights, these experiences and kind of what's going on. Paul, I'm honored, buddy. Thank you for uh, for recognizing the Coast Guard uh, in August. It, it, you know, we really uh, uh, appreciate all the support we get from USNI, and particularly from you. Uh, I love your uh, from the deck plates podcast, and I also, you know, really uh, really grateful for your continued leadership and you, your continued desire to have the best enlisted force that we possibly can. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, everyone, that wraps up this edition of the From the Deck Plates episode of the Proceedings Podcast. Thanks for joining me. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the Proceedings Podcast. And until next time, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute.